It's very likely that Jesus' closest friends were two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. In their home in Bethany near Jerusalem, Jesus had found a place where he could take his shoes off, take a nap, tell stories, laugh, and cry. It was the closest thing to home that he had, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You probably remember that in Luke's gospel, there's a story about a time that Jesus and his disciples dropped in unannounced on Mary and Martha for dinner. Martha went to work in the kitchen, sweating over her hot stove, trying to be sure that the fried chicken and the biscuits were done at the same time and that the wet potatoes didn't get, mashed potatoes is what I always called them, didn't get too stiff and the green beans didn't go dry. And she looked around for help and Mary was in the front room with Jesus and the others sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching and acting for all the world like she was a regular disciple. It was the kind of thing women in that culture weren't supposed to do, but Mary did. And Jesus seemed not just to allow it, but to encourage it. So Martha wondered if her sister and her friend really cared about her, though she knew in her heart of hearts that they did. But there was something about Mary's brashness that day and something about Jesus' permissiveness that made Martha so mad that she stormed into the room where Jesus and his followers were and basically insisted that Jesus send Mary back into the kitchen where she belonged. And Jesus refused. Instead, he invited Martha to set aside her anxiety about food and her fussiness over roles and status. Martha, Martha. We've been here before, you know, Martha. You're so anxious. You're so troubled by so many things. Mary's chosen the better part that I'm not going to take away from her. Now, for a long time, I thought Jesus meant something like this. Quit fretting, Martha, about dinner. Something simple will be fine. Join all of us here. And when we're finished talking... All of us will pitch in and make dinner, and all of us will clean the dishes afterwards. It's no wonder these two women love Jesus so much. He knew them well. He offered Mary the opportunity to learn and to grow, to be more than her culture said she could become And he offered Martha the chance to be free from her anxiety and her insecurity and her bondage to tradition and custom. He saw these women for who they were and who they could be. No wonder they loved him so. And then there was Lazarus, their brother, in John 11, immediately before today's story. We have this amazing account of Lazarus' illness. Mary and Martha's request that Jesus hurry to visit and to help. Jesus' strange and perplexing and hurtful delay. Mary and Martha's hurt with Jesus. And the miracle he then performed by calling Lazarus back from death and out of the stench of the grave. They learned 
in that, that incredible moment that Jesus wasn't just their close friend. He was, as he said, the resurrection and the life. In today's story, we learn that Jesus and his disciples are again back in their home, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, for supper. Lazarus wasn't in the tomb, but at the table. It was six days before Passover. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, where he would die. And they knew it. And they could hardly bear the thought of it. No one ever had known them and loved them like Jesus. I hope you know no one has ever known you and loved you like Jesus. Gratitude and grief, joy and sorrow, fear and love just surged in them. And Mary's heart couldn't contain it. Mary's heart was broken open. Her untamable and unmanageable love overflowed. She knelt before Jesus, anointed his feet with perfume that cost more than a year's wages, unbound her hair and let it fall across Jesus' feet, and then she wiped his feet dry, not with a towel, but with her hair. The aroma of perfume filled the house, and so did the unsettling scent of scandal. This, after all, is the most sensuous scene in the New Testament. Take the ribbon from your hair, shake it loose, and let it fall. That's how it seemed to the people who looked on. What Mary had done was shocking. And it was more than Judas could stand. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Just think how many people could have been fed with that amount of money. And besides, Judas thought that Mary's tears were embarrassing, her grief too consuming, her love too costly, And he viewed the perfume as an asset to be used, not as a gift to be given. Why why pour out all of this on Jesus? Why not give it to the poor? In the band of disciples, I imagine that whenever bold and impulsive Peter floated some grand scheme for changing the world, It was Judas who crunched the numbers and produced the spreadsheet. Judas liked it when Jesus talked about counting the cost before beginning a project. But he absolutely was driven crazy when Jesus said careless things like, have no anxiety about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Judas was the pragmatic one not the idealistic one. He was more aware of how much things cost rather than of how valuable they were. Judas is hard to ignore. 
He knows that impulses, desires, and emotions can be dangerous. He believes that passionate feelings can lead people astray. He wants the head to rule the heart, logic to tame love. But Jesus, Jesus told Judas, leave Mary alone. Just leave her alone. There have been so many times in church life, I hate to admit this, but I'm going to, there have been so many times in church life when I've watched people get into it with each other and I just want to say, would you all leave each other alone? And, and, and now I have a text for it. Leave her alone. <laughs> Jesus accepted her extravagant love. In fact, I think he not only accepted it, I think he needed it. Because it anointed him, it prepared him for the suffering, loneliness, and death which were immediately in front of him. You can't go in to the valley of the shadow without knowing for sure that you are loved. And God so often uses us to reassure each other of God's love. He not only accepted what she offered, he needed it. And I think we need what Mary has to teach us. I know that she's my teacher. From her, I learned that some things matter simply because they matter. They don't have to serve some greater purpose. They are ends in themselves. Mary didn't do what she did for a reason she could explain to anybody else. One of the great mystics of the church, Meister Eckhart, used to say, love has no why. Mary didn't have a why. Not really. Not that she could explain. She simply had overpowering love. Some things need no further justification, right? They're, they're justified in themselves. Things like allowing the beauty of nature to take our breath away. Delighting in the love of another person, holding the hand of a child. Soaring into the presence of God on the wings of a mighty organ, singing a familiar hymn from deep down in our hearts and at the top of our lungs, sitting transfixed in the immense beauty of a cathedral, crying tears of sadness or joy or both, laughing at ourselves and the irony of life, standing awestruck on the shore of the ocean, feeling the power of God in a thunderstorm, hearing our hearts beat and thrill and open to the words of Scripture, resting in the arms of Jesus when we pray. These things are higher and holier than any purpose we might imagine for them. They're simply right because they are right. 
Mary reminds me also that I can let love, not fear, lead my life. I've learned a lot from the New Jersey theologian Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) And on his 1987 album Tunnel of Love, he sings about a cautious man. On his right hand, Billy tattooed the word love. And on his left was the word fear. And in which hand he held his fate, he never was clear. Our lives are not actually in our hands. They're in the hands of Jesus and both Jesus' hands are tattooed with the wounds and wonders of love. Those hands, his hands of love, lead us beyond fear to become our truest selves. There's a beautiful 12th century prayer by Anselm of Canterbury that includes these lines, O God, You've made me and remade me. You've bestowed on me all the good things I possess. But, and I think these words are both a confession and a plea, but I've not yet done that for which I was made. I've not yet done that for which I was made. I know so many people who feel that way. They feel like life has rushed them by before they've had a chance to live the life they were made to live. There's this feeling we have that there's music in us that we haven't played or sung, truth we haven't spoken, mysteries we haven't explored, love we haven't given or received, joy we haven't danced. It's this nagging sense that we have possibilities we haven't realized, dreams we haven't pursued, contributions to the world we haven't given. We know what this feels like. I've not yet done that for which I was made. Most often we haven't because we're letting fear lead our lives and not love. And so I suggest, friends, that now is the time to throw caution to the wind, in other words, to the Spirit, and to let the selves God made loose on the world. We don't have to let fear of what other people will say or think, you know, those Judas voices we all hear in our hearts. We don't have to let fear of what people are going to think or say, what they expect or demand, what they approve of or disapprove us of, lock us up in fear. Love, Jesus, sets us free. And he says to all those voices of fear, leave her, leave him alone. And Mary helps me to hear with ever new urgency these words from another Mary, the poet Mary Oliver. She says so movingly, when it's over, 
I want to say that for all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up merely having visited the world. And Mary, Mary teaches us, teaches me, that there are some times when only extravagance will do. Will Willimon told a story about a priest who on his day off went shopping for a motorcycle. And because it was day off, he didn't have his clericals on, and the Harley salesman said, man, this machine will go zero to 90 in 20 seconds. It'll hug the road at 95. It'll outrun anything on wheels. By the way, what do you do for a living? I'm a priest. Oh, oh, it's also very safe, very You know, when it comes to the life of faith, which is another way of saying real life, when it comes to real life, the life of faith, safety is overrated. We need adventurous hope, courageous risk, and daring faithfulness. Excessive carefulness has to give way at some point to extravagant love. The Italian actor Roberto Benigni said, It is a sign of mediocrity when we demonstrate gratitude with moderation. You know, for most of my ministry, I've been called a moderate Baptist. I know what that means, but good Lord, it sounds lukewarm. (laughs) A whisper will not always work. Sometimes the joy of life demands a shout. Annie Dillard said to would-be writers, one of the few things I know about writing is this. Spend it all. Shoot it. Play it. Lose it all. Right away. Every time. Do not hoard what seems good for a later place in the book or for another book. Give it all now. Something more will arise for later, something better. Now. Now. Give it all. There are times when the sheer thrill and joy, the agony and pain of life call for everything, right? Everything. Nothing held back. I mean, isn't that part of of why we like the NCAA basketball tournament, those young men and the young women leaving everything on the floor, spending it all, nothing held back? Several years ago, I took my daughter to Eastman Conservatory to audition. I found out how much money it cost, and I was sorry for her, but I was glad she didn't make it. (laughs) 
But, but in the afternoon, we stumbled into the, to the auditorium of the Eastman Conservatory. And to my great surprise, there were Yo-Yo Ma and Bobby McFerrin rehearsing for a concert they would give that night. We sat up in the shadows because I knew they'd put us out if they knew we were there. And those two men and their crew played and performed as if the room were jammed full. They were sweating and singing and playing with abandon. Nothing held back. It was beautiful because they gave everything to what they thought was an empty room. Sometimes only extravagance will do. Writing a check for a ridiculous amount and becoming the hilarious givers God loves. Committing an ungodly amount of time to a godly cause. Becoming fools for Christ whom God can use to change the world. Sing more loudly than we have any right to sing. Give melody and voice to more grace than we have any right to receive. Laugh until we cry. Getting down on the floor and slapping the ground. And then crying until we laugh. Because we're in touch with a gratitude and a joy so deep. That we have found ourselves laughing and crying past our pain to hope. Mary teaches me that only extravagance will do. Nothing held back. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Were the whole realm of nature mine. That would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. Amen.